Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, please. While you're turning there, we want to remember in prayer Brother Chris Mansfield. His grandfather died, and that's the reason they're not here today. So remember the Mansfields in prayer, Jeff and Chris and all the rest of the family. And then let's remember Mrs. Rebecca Brooks. She's in the hospital with a heart problem. So remember Jerry and, and Rebecca. May we pray together. Our Father, we join in prayer for Rebecca, that you would bring healing to her, for Chris and Jeff and all their family in the sorrow that has come in the death of that precious loved one. And now we ask that the Holy Spirit would fasten our hearts on this text. And may we get just a glimpse of what it means to be faithful and the prayer of each of our hearts is that may those who come behind us find that we were faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Holy Spirit gave John the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 2 and 3, he directed a message to the seven churches. The first church was the church at Ephesus that had left its first love. The second church was the church at Smyrna, which was under severe persecution. And Jesus warned that church that there would be continual persecution. We need to keep that in mind in our day when there's more martyrdom for the Christian faith than any century in all the years gone by and it may touch America. And Jesus said, fear none of these things. The devil will cast some of you into prison, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. This verse inspired Mr. Moore to write the song that Lloyd sang a little while ago. May all who come behind us find us faithful. And that's what the Lord was saying to the church at Smyrna. May all who come behind you find that you were faithful. And that was true. Faithful in love, faithful in service, faithful in life, faithful in death. And one of the key faithful understandings of that day was getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. They took that faithfully and literally. And during the first century, the gospel of Jesus Christ was spread around the, that known world. They preached the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Galilee, all through Israel and all through that area, over into Asia Minor, down into Africa, over into India, and then to Spain, and then to Rome, and, a, and all through the Balkan countries, and even up to England, so that by the end of the first century, people who had never heard of Jesus had begun to hear about him. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the only hope anyone in the world has of heaven or life or forgiveness or cleansing 
is Jesus. And when we think of the millions of our earth today, the 264 millions in America, the five billions of people, nearly six billions in earth today, and the two and a half billion who know nothing about Jesus, it would enable us or it would challenge us to be faithful in giving out the missionary mandate through our offerings, through our offering of ourselves till that last person has heard. Not everybody's going to heaven. Not everybody in our city is going to heaven. Not everybody on your street is going to heaven. Only those who have heard about Jesus and come to know him and trust him and love him and serve him. They're the ones that have hope and forgiveness and cleansing and a home over in the glory. No wonder Jesus said, John, you write down there to those Smyrnese Christians, you're gonna have problems. You're gonna have some persecution. There'll be skeptics. There will be atheists and agnostics and all kinds of folks. But you be faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life. Of course, the crown of life comes later in heaven. And Paul one day said, what is our joy or crown or not even ye in the presence of the Lord? So the real crowns of heaven are not some glorious royal diadem like they crowned the Queen of England or other ancient kings, but the crown will be those that we have won to Christ. And we present them before his glory. And we say, Lord, I did what I could. I tried to be faithful to you in winning these to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, one of the great tragedies of our day is the indifference among many Christians. Charles Stanley wrote in his book, Confronting Casual Christianity, the prophet Amos was devastated and sickened with the sins of Israel, the commissioned people of God. He ran the gauntlet of their sins, self-indulgence, violence, class hatred, indifference to human suffering, ostentatious religion, hatred of righteousness, insincerity, hypocrisy, superstition, filthy immorality. He had a woe to pronounce upon their complacency. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountains of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel has come, Amos 6.1. What is the overriding lesson of that woe? It is precisely this, apathy and complacency are hydra-headed sins which are an affront to Almighty God. Believers can far more against, they sin far more against the Lord by what they fail to do rather than what they do. We grapple more with the sins of omission rather than the sins of commission. The fairest and severest sin of Christians is a numbing lack of concern, an attitude, I don't care. I'm in the fold. Why should I concern myself? I have a fire insurance against hell. When Gideon was through thinning out his frightened and indifferent soldiers, he discovered that only one out of 100 were brave and really meant business. Maybe there's a better average today. However, 
it has been stated that one-fourth of the church members of the average church could be dropped from the rolls and they would never know it. And the church would be no weaker as a consequence. The unorganized indifference within the ranks of the church members is far more destructive to the work of the Lord than all the organized forces of iniquity assailing them from the outside. And someone has said it is probably closer to more than half of the members of the average church. Those are sad statistics. You think 2,000 years after Jesus declared the harvest session in season, and he said, now be thou faithful that a large percentage of God's church never do anything to win anybody else to Christ. We just coast along, que sera, sera. We get saved, thank God for that glorious day, and then we forget about others along the way. In our city, in our county, over 90,000 people on any given Sunday, 10 to 12,000 go to Sunday school anywhere. That's a prospect list of 80,000 people. How much do we care? May all who come behind us find us faithful. Well, I want to suggest seven areas of faithfulness. May all who come behind us find that we were faithful. Our church is on trial. We're at a crossroads. One of the evidences of the concern of this people is the building programs we've had in past years. We met on Jones Avenue for 14 months, maybe a little longer. A band of 19 people formed this church, but they were not content to remain 19. Individually, they went out. One of the men of that church was a butcher up here on Small House Road, at the corner of Small House and, and Scottsville Road. I went into that store one day, and that butcher was back there telling somebody who was there to get meat about our church and invited them to come. And then he said, I gave my heart to Christ. Have you done that? Now that's a witness. There were others in that congregation that did the same thing. Many, many others. And finally, the church built over here, the first unit. We had fewer than 100 and then began to grow and grow. And when we moved into this auditorium in August of 1962, the people had become so excited about what was going on, there were over a thousand in Sunday school that day. Why? It wasn't because of some newspaper article. It was because individuals began to tell other individuals about Jesus. And that's the success of the work of the Lord. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And when that happens, and we began to get excited, begin to get excited about the things of God, God begins to bless. 
Well, I want to suggest seven areas of faithfulness. And uh, my prayer is that the banner behind us will become true. May all who come behind the congregation of 2003 at Glendale Baptist Church meeting on Rose Lawn Way find that we were faithful. Amen. Faithful first in friendships. In Proverbs we read, a friend loveth at all times. There is no greater friend than one who introduces his neighbor to Jesus. He that winneth souls is wise. And when we cultivate that friendship with our family, and we don't, do not alienate them with our harsh words and our resentments and our careless living, but we encourage people to go on with God, then God blesses that faithful in friendship. Secondly, faithful in fellowship. In Ephesians 4, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you, from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Amen. Sometimes in our fellowship with each other, we're harsh. We're rude. We give the impression we don't really like you. And that hurts friendship. That hurts fellowship. And it turns thumb down, thumbs down on faithfulness. Let's be faithful in our fellowship one with another. The fellowship is koinonia, the Word of God, fellowship around the Word of God. Not fellowship around ball games. That's okay. Everybody can do that. Not fellowship around the golf, golf games. Not fellowship around uh, some other things, but fellowship around the Word of God. One of the things that was interesting during the recent revival are people that came to church and came and heard the Word of God. And they loved it. And they could hardly wait to come back the next day. We were visiting the other night and somebody said, you know, when Monday came, after the revival closed, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to go back to church again. There wasn't any church that night. You see, that's the koinonia, the fellowship. Faithfulness in fellowship. And when we really get a glimpse of the love of people and the love of God and the love of the Word of God, we'll, we'll want to be faithful in that fellowship. I encourage you to be faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Dr. Lee Robertson speaks of three to thrive. How important it is for us to be back on Sunday night and on Wednesday night and the other nights. When I was in Louisville, a number of years ago while I was in the seminary, Ninth and O had a revival meeting. They announced in big billboards all across the city, perennial revival. And they went into a revival meeting that lasted for eight months, every night. I was in a seminary, a seminary student. I thought, well, they'll get tired of that. They won't go, so I thought I'd go over one night. I went over on one Thursday night and the place was jammed and packed. And they went on like that for nine months. And hundreds of people were brought to Christ. Amen. Why? Because the people had a hunger for the fellowship and the Word of God. And you say, well, it's not like that today. People are too busy. They have this job and this job and something else. Well, it was the same thing in those days. The problem is they had priorities. And so we need prior to prioritize our activities so that the fellowship involves faithfulness, faithfulness 
to that fellowship. Thirdly, faithful and fruit-bearing. Turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. But the fruit of the Spirit, beginning in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, fruit-bearing has to do with allowing the Holy Spirit to control our lives. And when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will prioritize our activities. He'll show us the things that are really important. And everybody has to find out what's really important in his life. There are some things that are more important than others. Prime in the importance of those things is personal soul winning. He that winneth souls is wise. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Very few, except here at Glendale, we remember this because we mention it often, but very few in the world remember a man named Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball. And even as I mentioned that name this morning, some of you will click and say, I remember who that is. Others will say, well, who is that? I never heard of Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball was a layman who taught a Sunday school class in a church in Northfield, Massachusetts. And then he went to Boston and began to teach there. And one day, there was a young guy about 17 years old that joined his class. This guy didn't know anything about the Bible and when he would say, when Mr. Kimball would say, let's turn to Matthew, he'd look all back over in Genesis, look, he didn't know where it was. Or let's turn to Psalms, he'd look back toward Revelation, he didn't know where it was. And the other kids made fun of him. One day he was absent. This young guy said, I'm not going back to that Sunday school. They make fun of you there. So Mr. Kimball, the next morning, found out where he worked, went down to the shoe store, went in the shoe store, put his hand on the shoulder of young Dwight and told him how to be saved. And Dwight L. Moody gave his heart to the Lord that day, 17 years old, won to the Lord by a nameless man or an unknown man named Ed Kimball. Then Dwight Moody kept on preaching and preaching and preaching, and thousands were converted under his ministry. R.A. Torrey was one of those men. R.A. Torrey kept on being faithful to the Lord. He won many, many to the Lord. And R.A. Torrey reached, the influence of R.A. Torrey reached a man named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday kept on preaching and kept on preaching. He was an acrobatic preacher. He would wander all over the stage and do somersaults and get up on the, on the pulpit itself and jump off of it and so on. And the press made fun of him. But he was so influential that he caused America to stop and think about liquor and the awful abuse of liquor. And Billy Sunday was credited with leading in the prohibition that came in America during those early years. And he kept on preaching and serving the Lord, being faithful in all things. He touched other lives. One day he had touched a man who touched a young man out in California. And that young man was on the farm. 
And he was never the same after he'd been touched by God, by the message that had come down from Ed Kimball and D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey and Billy Sunday. And that young man decided God was calling him to the work of the Lord. He began in a small way, preached in some churches, and then he had a vision of a radio ministry. And he got on one radio station, got the gospel out, and God blessed. He got on another radio station, and another, and another, and another, and another. And finally, he had a worldwide network called the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. His name, Charles E. Fuller. And Charles E. Fuller kept on preaching and preaching and preaching and touched the lives of thousands. And some in this very auditorium today were touched by the life of Charles E. Fuller. Now God keeps on like a chain reaction. You touch somebody's life and God will bless you and them. There are folks in this auditorium who have been influenced to Christ by somebody else. I think of preacher that preached here in this pulpit, not in this one, the over all the other auditorium over at the house years ago. And he uh, preached on the fifth chapter of John. And in the audience that day was a younger man, 38 years old. In the fifth chapter of John, there's a story of a man who had been at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years and nobody to care. That young man looked inside of his heart and felt that he was one of those for whom nobody had cared. That day he gave his heart to Christ. He meant business with God. His name was Lee Kennedy. And for the next 40 years, Lee Kennedy was a strong pillar in the Glendale Baptist Church. And many who came behind him were faithful. May all who come behind us find us faithful. On the banner, you see the pictures of Dr. R.G. Lee who preached over 90 years. When he was 91, he preached in this pulpit at this, behind this cross. He had won thousands to the Lord. You see the picture of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for over 30 years, nearly 40 years, and was faithful. You see the life and picture of J. Harold Smith, who was God's powerful spokesman for the Lord. Not everybody liked him. Some didn't like J. Harold Smith. I heard some people say, well, he scares me when he preaches on God's three deadlines. And I don't want to go and hear that message. I've heard it too many, too many gory stories. But do you know that over a million people were won to Christ by that great message? When a person didn't like him, they classified themselves. Somebody told Dr. Lee as he left the church one day, I didn't like your sermon. Dr. Lee was very abrupt. He said, the devil didn't either. Classify yourself and come back next Sunday. Amen. Then we see the portrait of Mrs. Emily Glazier. Ms. Glazier was a landmark in our church in the early years. Our first organist, our first secretary, she had a messy desk, but she knew everything that was on it, knew where to find it. 
and she was faithful. She played her organ. She was our first pianist. The little piano that's down in the Compassion Chapel was the piano at that time. A little mirror on it. I think somebody's broken the mirror. And then one of our men gave our church an organ. That organ is in the chapel now. And she played that organ for years. And we moved into this auditorium. We got this organ. And she played that organ until God beckoned her to go into a mission program and then later took her home to heaven with cancer. But she was faithful in all things. Her memorial service was right here in this auditorium. And then we see the picture of Lana Oy. Lana was an unsaved girl at university. She came here under the invitation of some college student. She gave her heart to Jesus, and I remember her sitting right there the morning she was saved. And she said, I want to give it all to Jesus. She began to grow and grow and grow. Came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, teen time, and all the experiences. And then she met Tack Oi. And a love began to grow in their lives. And she and Tack offered their lives to the Lord. And they've been missionaries in Japan for over 34 years. Faithful to the Lord. May all who come behind these find us faithful. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you to be faithful in fruit-bearing, faithful all the way until God calls you home, then faithful in fighting the good fight. In 1 Timothy, we read, fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. Well, we need to be faithful in favoring the priorities. There are certain priorities in our life that are so important. One of those priorities is, has to do with our stewardship. More of it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful in our life service, faithful in our giving, faithful in his tithe, faithful in our offerings, faithful in building, faithful in love, faithful in favoring the priority things. And then last of all, faithful to the finish. A hundred years will, will, will take care of all of us if the Lord tarries a hundred years. There's nobody going to be here a hundred years from now. Maybe some of the babies in the nursery will live to be 110. Life expectancy grows and grows. But most of us, 70, 80, 90, and we'll go home. I've heard some people say, well, I used to do this. I used to do this. I used to be this. I used to do this. God forbid. If we used to love the Lord more than we do today, we're backslidden. Now, there's sometimes physical inabilities that keep us from doing everything we used to do, but our heart needs to be more keenly in love with Jesus today than it was the day we were saved. May all who come behind us find us faithful, keeping on, keeping at the task of trying to see people come to Jesus, winning precious folks to Christ, and faithful in knowing that we have a home beyond this home. Amen. I take Mrs. Gross home from church every Sunday. 
And sometimes I say, well, we're going home. And she'll look at me. She'll say, this isn't home. It's my dwelling place. She's not home yet. She's on her way. None of us, when you go back to your house today, remember that's not home. That's a temporary home. This world is not our home. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Everyone in this room is destined to go on and on and on and on. Where will it be? Some to whom I speak this morning and listen carefully. You can laugh and giggle right now if you want to. But listen carefully. Some people die when they're 17 or 18. Some people die when they're 80 or 90. But sooner or later, if Jesus tarries, we're going to all die. And then what? Where will we spend eternity? The question is not what church did you belong to or how many times did you go, but what did you do with Jesus? Did you know that Jesus died for you on a cross? Did you ignore that? Did you say, well, that's very unimportant. They talk about that over church, and I hear about that on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I don't have to think about that. Woe unto you who do not think about that. You're going to spend eternity somewhere, and just because you're in church today doesn't guarantee you're going to heaven. Only those who are willing to repent of sin, turn away from your sin, turn away from yourself, and turn to Christ and invite Jesus to come and live inside of you to be your personal Savior and Lord, they're the ones that will go to heaven. Are you on your way home to heaven? Or are you on your way to hell? You have to decide that in your heart. If you'll ask Jesus to come and live inside of you today, be your personal Savior, he'll save you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of that song. May all who come behind us find that we were faithful. May we be faithful unto death and look forward to the crown of life you'll give us. And part of that crown will be those that we have won to Christ. Father, we pray that anyone in this room or within the sound of our voice today who is without Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God would move in that heart it would cause them to come to Jesus. May this be God's day of victory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, please. 154, Jesus is calling. 154, Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling you home. Is there anybody today who will come to Jesus? Just come from your past, your doubts, your questions, and come. While we begin to sing, will you come to Christ?